you to open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. That's where we'll be starting out this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to bet that this morning you rose up bright and early in time to read the entire letter to the Romans, to meditate on it and to mull over it. And then after that, you spent some time praying to God and you sang some hymns and you shared the morning with Him. And then when you were done with that, you watched the sun rise and you remembered that you are being renewed according to the image of the one who bled and died for you. And you resolved that today you are going to live to the praise of his glory. Was that your morning? <laughs> if so, I'm, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> Congratulations. Um, let me tell you about my morning. And I'm going to throw myself under the bus a little bit here. And maybe you guys can sympathize a little bit more with, with how my morning played out. This morning I woke up and I stuck one foot off the bed and I thought to myself, hmm, I don't like this very much. <laughs> and then I laid on the ground for about five minutes trying to muster up the energy to get in the shower. <laughs> And, you know, I didn't really feel like having a life this morning, much less thinking about spiritual things. So that's kind of what I want to talk to you guys about this morning. I want to talk to you about overcoming spiritual fatigue. And the first thing that should be said about this is that, well, if your experience was like mine, congratulations. Welcome to the human race. <laughs> that happens. Everybody goes through spiritual fatigue. A lack of zeal and, and, and energy. Not feeling very motivated to, to read the Bible, to pray to God, or to even think about spiritual things. And when you're feeling like that, you can't help but remember the time where you first gave your life over to God and you decided that you were going to follow Jesus. The, the, the zeal that you had at that time, that no matter what, you're going to follow him. You're going to stick with him through thick and thin. The humility of realizing all of your mistakes, admitting them, and saying, nothing's going to get in the way of me and God. And we can't help but wonder what happened to that. And why can't I feel like that now? What happened along the way to make me lose that zeal? And that want to serve God? This morning, I'm really hoping to just put forward a couple of practical solutions and some things that you can do to light the fire again, to keep it stoked, to keep it burning. 
And so first I want to talk about 1st and 2nd Timothy. Let me turn there. If I was a good preacher, I'd already be there. Starting in verse 1, the context for this entire letter starts out like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And as I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The letter to 1 Timothy is written to, as you would guess, Timothy. And it's from Paul. We get that in the first verse, right? And Paul left Timothy by himself in Ephesus with a job. What's the job? <laughs> Instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. And throughout the letter, Paul is going to, to mention a couple names, Hymenaeus, Philetus, Alexander, some, some people who Paul specifically pointed to and said, all right, these guys are no good. They are trouble. And these are the ones that are going to rise up against you and try to teach false doctrine. They're going to be the ones who will fight you. Paul is telling Timothy, okay, you better defend the gospel in its sincerity against the attacks that these men are going to hurl at it. Later on, it's also kind of Timothy's responsibility to teach the people what elders are supposed to do, who they are. And that's kind of a big job. And then you take all this into account, and, and, and Timothy is a young man, too. He doesn't have the experience that the Apostle Paul would. He doesn't have the reputation that the Apostle Paul would. And yet he's got this job in front of him. Huge, intimidating job. So you think to yourself, if anybody would experience spiritual fatigue, if anybody would feel drained, well, maybe it would be Timothy. He's got a big job in front of him. And it would make sense that maybe he'd get to a point where, in all of his defense of the gospel, he would run out of energy. He would feel kind of done with it. What do you think Paul says to Timothy by way of advice? What, 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 does, he, what does he instruct Timothy to do in order to not grow tired and weary of doing good. Flip over to chapter 4. Paul's advice is not remember to take it easy. Paul's advice is not Vacations are important. 
remember to take breaks. Leave, leave, leave your service to God at the office. You know, remember to have fun. That's not Paul's advice to Timothy. He says, starting in verse 6, In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. Have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. But on the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance, and for it, for it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially believers. And prescribe and teach these things. And let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, in conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself as an example of those who believe. And until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. And do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. But take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. And pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation, both for yourself and for those who hear you. In verse 6, Timothy is supposed to be constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine. Other translations might say trained up in or brought up in. Really, I, I prefer the New American Standard way of putting it. Nourished. Being fed by the words of faith. It's really what it is. I mean... <laughs> If you're to be constantly nourished in something, are, are you going to stop eating because you don't feel like it? How long is that going to last? What, what, where is that going to bring you? You're not going to last. And further than that, he tells them to be disciplined. Unless you're Paul Brewer, you probably don't like running. <laughs> um, the fact is, exercise, discipline, bodily discipline, it's not very pleasant to get started into it. I mean, when you're, when you're out of shape and you start exercising, it's, it's, it's not enjoyable. <laughs> get an amen over there. <laughs> All right, how does that apply to being constantly nourished in the words of faith? How does that apply to your walk as a Christian? Are you disciplined in spending time with God in your, in your prayers? Are you disciplined in getting into the words of the faith? Being nourished and taking, 
taking these things seriously. Well, first off, it's probably not going to be super fun. <laughs> and if you're expecting to be passionate about it before you get into the Word, then you're going to be waiting around for a long time. Because you can't expect the zeal to come before learning. You have to make yourself read the word. Spend time in it. Be absorbed in these things like Paul tells Timothy. And let me tell you something that's helpful for me. Listening to hymns, turn those on too. Have them playing in the background while you're doing something. Something to get you more in the mode <laughs> to think like you should be thinking. And of course in 15 and 16 he says take pains with them. Be absorbed in them. Pay close attention. Persevere in these things. Distance, in this case, does not make the heart fonder. <laughs> That's a lie. If you're feeling bogged down, you don't really feel like reading your Bible, not reading your Bible is not the solution. <laughs> Get into the Word. Spend time in it. Be absorbed in it. Be disciplined. And then you'll find that as you're in it, your appetite for it grows. You want it more. But I want to encourage something more than just spending time in the Word. And I want us to go to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, the context for the, the, these, these first chapters of Revelation is that Jesus is speaking directly to these churches of Asia. And he is telling them some things that they're doing good at and some things that they're failing on. And Jesus comes to the church of Ephesus in, in verse 1. And he says, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you have found them to be false. And you have perseverance and you have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. Repent. Do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you, and I will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To the church of Ephesus, he, he said they're, they're doing really good. 
defending their faith. Of course, Ephesus is the very same place that Timothy was left by Paul. And so we already know a little bit about the challenges that they faced. But, but also, historically, Ephesus was not a very kind place to live. Uh, in, in uh, I lost it in my notes. Was it Acts 18? Give me a moment. Acts 19. In, in Acts 19, Paul is being chased out of Ephesus by some zealots because, because there's, there's kind of a big deal in Ephesus. And it's the Temple of Diana or the Temple of Artemis. And at the time, it was one of the wonders of the world. People would flock to that place from all over, hold festivals to this pagan god. The people, the Christians in Ephesus, lived in the shadow of a giant. Their culture was completely imbibed with idolatry, with pagan teachings. And they had to be careful. And so they defended against this. And Jesus congratulates them. He says, yeah, exactly. Don't give in to the, to the false teaching. But just walking the walk, just keeping that doctrine, was that enough? Somewhere along the way, they had lost their first love. The innocence and, and the joy and the passion that had carried them into their relationship with God had gotten left somewhere along the way. And because of this, Jesus says, I'm going to remove your lampstand. Does that sound a little harsh to you? I mean, they had this, the, the right things going, right? And Jesus says, you're about to not even be connected to me at all. I'm about to be done with you. Just doing the right things isn't enough. Jesus wants your heart. He wants that fire in you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants your prayers. He wants you to talk to Him. He wants you to, to be eager to find out what He wants from you. He wants you to be curious. And so from this, I'm not just saying, read your Bible. Do it consistently. Good things. Good things. But when you're reading your Bible, how are you doing it? Are you doing it 
simply to defend what you believe. We talked about Romans in Bible class this morning. What if Paul got up in front of the Bible class and he started teaching Romans except we were only going through the false teachings that people put forward in Romans. We could very easily fill up the time slot in class just talking about weird things that people have made up about Romans. What if he just talked about that and how they're false? I don't think that would be a very encouraging time. We have to read the Bible not as a handbook against Calvinism, not as a handbook against all of the false teaching, but as a handbook for what God wants from you. When you read the Bible, your goal should be, okay, what about God's will can I learn? What does he want from my life right now? How can I live for him? And sometimes I think we get stuck in a rut where we're making the same points against false teaching but from every other passage. And we're not looking at what really God wants from us. So that, I've found, can be something that kills your zeal. Something that puts a stopper on it. You notice in a conversation, what, what, makes, a, what makes a boring conversation? Well, I found it to be mostly either something that I don't know anything about and doesn't really matter to me, or I'm repeating myself. Those are the two things that make a boring conversation. <laughs> Those are the same things that make boring Bible study. Dig into the Word. There is more to find in there than you think. And then the last thing that I am going to recommend when it comes to, to lighting the fire in your heart again is found in Hebrews chapter 10. Growing up, it was my responsibility to keep the house warm. We heated with a wood-burning stove and the old saying about heating with wood is, is that <laughs> it's twice as effective because it warms you up once when you're stacking the firewood and then twice when you're burning it, right? So I had to start the fire every day and, and feed it every one to two hours. I wasn't very good at remembering. And then every night you had to take the, the largest log you could find in the wood pile and you put it in the furnace and then you crank the handle all the way and then you go to sleep. Well, the following morning, I wake up and I, <laughs> I, I, I tenderly prance and, and tiptoe across the freezing floor in the 40 to 50 degree house. And I open up the stove. What do you think I find? It's a pile of ashes. And why is that? 
the fire wasn't fed because nobody was awake. <laughs> and it's the same thing when it comes to our interest and our zeal in God's word and about spiritual things. And so the best solution is to keep the fire fed. But if we have to, sometimes we have to start it from the ashes. And let me tell you, it's easier to do with the help of brethren. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, after talking about the great promises given to us and the great, the great access to God through Jesus, he says in 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Hey. Okay. So, New American Standard says stimulate one another, and uh, the ESV version says stir up one another. And of course, if you, if you look throughout the epistles, and you, and you notice how Paul writes about the brethren, and the encouragement that he gets from them, it's really amazing. Paul says so many times, I'm longing to see you, to, to the Romans, in chapter 15, he, people he has never seen before, he, he wants so badly to meet them, to see them, to be encouraged by them, to spend time with them. And that should be what it's like to be with brethren. I, I can speak from experience. I've spent time with you guys. And the days that I do that, I come away from it so much more encouraged and ready to dig into the Bible. <laughs> ready to learn more. To serve God with everything that I have. And those are the best days for me. Are the ones that I get to spend with you guys. So I think Paul sets for us an example. We need to light each other's fires. Take advantage of having a family here that has the exact same goal as you. Take advantage of so many people right here. A lot of people don't have this blessing around the world. A look around the building. We all want to serve Christ. And the goal, when I'm talking to you, <laughs> is that you're going to come away from it encouraged. And you're going to come away from it feeling built up and ready to go. Anyway, those are my, my simple pointers <laughs> for some things that, that maybe you can do to relight the fire, rekindle your passion. Spend time in the Word, even when you don't feel like it. Read not just to affirm what you believe, but to learn more 
and to dwell on God's grace, His mercy, and the genius of what He's done for you. And reach out to the brethren. Talk to them. Be purposeful about having spiritual conversations. And really, I don't think you'd be bothering any of us if you asked for a Bible study. <laughs> that could help too. So I just wanted to offer some things for you guys to think about. And I hope it's been helpful. If there's anybody here who, who maybe wants to come forward to ask for help, or if there's anyone here who wants to become a Christian, and maybe that fire is in you right now, then we'd love to help you if you come forward as we stand.